Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. I want to speak to you about grace. Grace, I've called this talk, How Sweet the Sound. I was going to start that Start it with Obama singing Amazing Grace. Remember that, that thing we did at that, the funeral for the guys that got killed in the church and thought it's probably a bit heavy um, when we realized the context of why we're singing it, but it's, it's so good. But we read at weddings a lot. You'll, you'll be aware of the verses in 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is. Love is kind. Love is patient. It does not envy. Love never fails. And we know that God is love because it tells us in John's Gospel that God doesn't love. He doesn't just love. He is love. It's not a theory or a concept if you want to know what love looks like, it looks like God. It looks like Jesus. That's what we believe. It says in John 3.16, these are like really popular, really famous Bible verses, so you probably know them, is that it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then this bit, which often gets missed, which is really important, which is, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then there's this thing I said, called grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I'm not going to sing, don't worry. We have to be totally immersed and swallowed up in that grace. We've got to dive full on in. We've got to, like, like you're going into a really like, beautiful swimming pool, you've just got to dive on in, immerse yourself in it, because it is everything. Because if you don't know what grace is, grace is favor, it's mercy, it's things we did not deserve, but Jesus gave it to us anyway. Anyone experienced that? Anyone grateful for that? Yeah. We, we just had, you know, this last year, the last, you know, everything that's happened to us, and in one sense, I'm, I'm really not going to dwell on it because I'm kind of bored of it now. I mean, we're in chapter two, three, and that was chapter one, and that's gone. But, like, we're moving on. And, uh, you know, the, the best is yet to come and everything like that. But we've had so much grace. We think, I don't deserve all this stuff. Our house has been, like, revamped. We've had friends in, uh, that have come and done our garden, yeah. and it's been completely revamped. You wouldn't recognize it. It was a, say, it was a shed before. There were sheds in it, but it was a mess. <laughs> it was, like, just, just not nice. Now it's beautiful, and it's like the kids absolutely love it. it this, this is, and you just feel like, I don't deserve this. It's unmerited grace and favor that comes to you. It's by grace that some of us are still married. Hello. <laughs> it's by grace that we're alive and not dead. Hello. If we dive into grace, if we dive into it, we let it embed into our lives, it's not just the words for a great song, a great hymn, Amazing Grace. It's life-changing. It's life-changing. It'll change the way we look at things, talk about things, and it'll change everything. And in global, we say that global churches were a movement. And at the minute, we're quite a small movement, but we've got a vision and a dream to grow into a bigger movement. Like we said, a 1,000 churches uh, in 100 cities worldwide. And at the minute, we've got three, and we've got new ones on the way. We've got new ones in London. We've got new ones around York. And the idea is like we're going to be a little bit like, this is, the, this is probably about as big a venue as we're going to go for. And then the rest of them are smaller venues where we want people to be able to know each other. It's like coffee shop style church where it's, it's small, it's intentional. And then every now and then we'll come together in bigger venues so we can experience being one big group together as well. But global is, is a movement. We say we're a movement, not a monument, because we're on a journey. We're a church planting movement. But we should also be a grace movement. Because the thing is, the church is God's medium for importing, illustrating, and modeling the grace of God to the world. Yeah. This is our mission. It's our responsibility. If you're a Christian, this is your mission. This is your responsibility. We have to model the grace of God to the world. 
There's no plan B. We are it. The problem is we haven't always done it very well, or we haven't really done it at all in some cases. Because the thing is, there's two main reasons, I reckon, why people don't become Christians. Yeah? The first one is they've never met a Christian. The second one is they actually have. <laughs> they actually met a real-life, living, breathing Christian, and they looked, and they saw, and they said, no thanks. Because some Christians don't represent so well. They misrepresent. The Bible says we are here to be Christ's ambassadors. We're here to represent, we're here to be diplomatic. Not just a bit of him, but all of him. Represent all of him. So today I'm going to look at a parable, which is simple stories that Jesus used to illustrate things in, in the Bible. And this is told by Jesus in Luke chapter 15. And this parable is the clearest example of Jesus teaching about grace, even though the word grace doesn't actually appear anywhere in it. Uh, it's a pretty well-known parable, so some of you may know, well know it, but it's often quite misunderstood. And in the Bible, if you, have, like, if you have a Bible and they have these like, subheadings where they break bits of the Bible down, it's often called um, you know, the, 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 parab- the, the, the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. Prodigal means extravagant, wasteful, but that's not true. You see, it's not about just one son, it's about two sons. There's every bit as much weight on the older son than there is on the younger prodigal son. It's a story about two sons who were invited to a party that neither of them were comfortable attending. And as different as these two brothers were, they had a shared misunderstanding, both of them, of their father. They basically had a massive misunderstanding about grace. Jesus, this parable comes about because... Jesus is asked why he hangs around with sinners and tax collectors, because tax collectors are like really low. They're like, they, they're like in, ganging up on their own people. They're working for the Romans and collecting money off the, the Jewish people. So they're just hated. They're really hated. And he's asked by the Pharisees and the keepers of the religious law why he hangs around with them. Why is he even willing to, to eat with them? Because the meal is a big deal. Culturally, to sit down and share your meal with someone was, was your opening. And still it is now. You're accepting them into your household, into your family. So why is he hanging around with these perceived outcasts? And it says this in verse 11. This is quite a long bit of reading, so I'll try and blast through it. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and a man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. 
Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And in that story at the start of it, what the son, the the youngest son is basically asking his father is really insulting like basically saying I wish you were dead can I, can I have your money that I'm due please like that's not very respectful in a culture that really demanded respect and by the way he's not doing it so he can start a business or something the bible says that he's going to go and spend it all on wild living he's going to go off to another land he's off to Ibiza he's off partying he's off backpacking around India where, you know whatever it is he's off to party he's, he's going off uh, to do all the to do all the things that people do but when he's part of the money away, he then has to work on a pig farm. And that's something, if you're a Jew, you, you don't really go and work on a pig farm. They're, they're unclean animals. So first of all, he sold out his father. Secondly, he sold out his religion and his ethnic background. He's basically sold out big time. And it's not until he's eating the poor food, the berries, that the Bible says the important thing, that he comes to himself and realizes that what he's eating there is terrible. And even his father's, he'd be better off being a servant in his father's house because they have better food there. So he decides to go home, but I'm not sure he's massively repentant at that point of making a decision. I don't think he really thinks of that. I think he's just hungry and he's just poor. We can picture ourselves like that. I've, I've done that. I, I need to, uni. I've got no money. Um, and the fridge is full in Kendall. I'm going back to Kendall. Hi. I want to see mum and dad too, you know. <laughs> but there's good food at home. There's roast dinners. There's, you know, there's Tropicana in the fridge. It's amazing. Um, you can picture it. This is what we're talking about. So he thinks, what he does do, he thinks of a plan. He thinks, I realise he's made a mistake. I'm going to have to sort of make this up somehow. So I'm going to hatch a plan. I'll come back, Dad, and I'll work for you. Let me pay you back by working for you somehow, yeah? So he sets off back, and he's not expecting much of a welcome. But in fact, what happened was his father's been looking for him, searching for him. And he gets treated by his dad as some sort of returning war hero, not a guy who's brought shame on, on his entire family. And the Bible says that the father ran towards him, and, and you think, all right, great, well, you, you would. But in the context of the, the cultural and honouring culture and society, the hierarchical society at the time, noble men like this guy didn't run. Yeah. Like, it was, it was demeaning for a, a, a wise man, a noble man to run. But here he is running to, towards his son. He did it because he was willing to humiliate himself to get back to his son to welcome his son back home. So he runs and he meets his son, he hugs him, he kisses him. And this is a moment, I think, where everything changes for the prodigal son because that's where his heart changes. He wasn't expecting this. He was expecting to have to negotiate. He was expecting to have to fight. He was expecting to have to hold his head low as he came back. The son didn't really even get the chance to give his speech out. He he had this speech prepared and and he tried to say it to his dad and present his plan to his dad and he said his father just said, no, I'm just going to shower you with affection and let's celebrate. You're home. It reminds me, I, I, I bring this verse from a song a lot because this is the whole story, but it's a song called Roll Away Your Stone by Mumford and Sons. And it's a verse, it's a modern song, um, ish, it's like five years old maybe, maybe a bit longer. But it says this, it'll come up because this is a story that Marcus Mumford has written 
into this song. It says, it seems that all my bridges have been burned. But you say, that's exactly how this grace thing works. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with every start. That's for every one of us. That we need to have that welcome as we start. This is what the Father's given to his son, that welcome that he's starting again. It's not on the way home. He's trudging home. You can imagine it. He's full of shame. And, oh, yeah, 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 I'm going to get told off. And he gets showered with a welcome. The Father calls for servants to bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. That robe is his robe, the Father's robe. That'll be the finest robe because he's the head of the household. Put a finger, put a ring on, put a finger on his ring. Put a ring on his finger. <laughs> Sandals on his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We've got to celebrate with a feast. That robe, as I said, it's really important because it's his Father's robe. You know that like, if someone comes back in the village community, people will know that this guy's fled. They'll know what he's done. And he's got to go back into society and have everyone in the village going, oh, you're back, are you? Mm. Uh-huh. And they'll be, even if his father's not judging him, they might well want to judge him. Yeah. And what happens when the father puts a robe on his son, he covers the son with saying, no, I'm accepting him. He's forgiven. This is my son. He's covered him with a robe to protect him. And that's what God does with us as well. We've got two different so- stories really going on here today. Story one is that we've got a rebellious young kid who's forced to come home, having been away and run out of money and options. He realizes what he's done, plans to come home and ask his dad for a job. Pretty standard story when you break it down like that. Story two, a father hasn't seen his son in ages, and then far off he sees him coming home. So he runs to meet him and then throws a party to celebrate his return. If you asked a son to tell his story, he would tell you all the bad things he's done, the mistakes he's made, where he's screwed up. If you were to ask the father to tell you his story, he'd just say, my son's back. I'm throwing a party to celebrate it. We look, and, we can look at that and think, well, that's fine. But let me ask you, how would you think if the father was a friend of yours and their son's antics, you knew, has cost the family thousands of pounds over the years? And then, to cap it all, the son goes and steals the mother's jewellery and legs it, disappears for a few years. And then one day you get a phone call from your friend and he invites you to a party at their house tonight and he asks what it's about. And he says, my son's just come back unannounced and we're going to have a party to celebrate his return. How would you feel about that? When you put, that in, put yourself in that perspective, you'd have a few questions, right? <laughs> I don't think I'd be like, yeah, that's so good. I'd be like hesitant because you know the pain and anguish that that family's been through. You know what your friends have been through. You'd want to know, has he changed? That's good that he's coming back, but is he changed? Has he just come back for more? Is this repeating the cycle? Isn't it too early to party? Let's leave it a few weeks, see how he's going. We need to focus on his past behavior. Those are the sorts of questions that I would be asking, and maybe you'd be asking too. All perfectly natural questions. So we have the younger son. This is the kid that has done everything wrong, but instead of telling him off, his father just shows him off to the community and has a party to celebrate. They slaughter the calf, that means we're having a lot of people because there's no fridges <laughs> back then. You can't just like, well, we'll just freeze a bit of beef for later on. <laughs> like, that, that'll see us till Christmas. No, no, the whole village is, is, is invited. They're going to eat the calf. You can also tell it was a good party too because the text says that they could hear music and dancing coming from inside the house. Wow. Have you thought that? Hearing dancing, that's a party, right? You can hear dancing. There's definitely a party going on. The older son, he was a rule keeper. He did everything right. He was everything a father in that culture would hope for from a son. 
And when he heard his father was throwing his reckless younger brother a party, he's angry. You can understand why he'd be angry. And he refused to come into the house to join him. And often we think that the prodigal son is irresponsible and the, this story is about him and the older brother just has a bad attitude. And that what we need to take from this story is about how we shouldn't have bad attitudes towards the prodigals in our life, yeah? That we should just be, you know, welcoming. But... This is where it's going to give some of you an ouch today because some of you are sitting here as the older brothers. Some of you are sitting here as the younger brothers. But the elder son is just as lost, if not more so than his brother, because there's a party going on. And again, when you read the Bible, you can get these concordances and other supporting books that give you context of what's going on at the time, how the culture would affect. There's a party going on. The culture and society of the time dictates that as the older brother... The eldest brother, he is the chief host of that party. He is more than a maitre d'. He's welcoming everyone. He's sorting everyone out. He's, make, he's, keeping, he's working in a room. He's taking, making all the jokes. He's, he's respecting all the, the guests that his father has invited. He's welcoming. He's representing his father. But he's not there. He's outside having a sulk, refusing to come in. So much so that his father has to come out mid-party and have to come and plead with him to come in. And the eldest son at this point, he's throwing up just as much of a middle finger to his dad as the prodigal son did before that. Because he's throwing a huge amount of disrespect to his dad. In a society where honour is extremely important, the older brother didn't honour his dad at all. In fact, he gave a speech to his father about how, his, how bad his brother had been and how much he deserved for being a faithful father. He says, all these years, it says in uh, chapter verse 29, I think, all these years I've slaved for you and have never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a calf. Loads of us can feel like that because we feel it's just not fair. It's just not fair. Why do they get away with it? I've done everything right. I've, I've ticked the boxes, but life is more than ticking boxes. You know that. The father's response is really powerful. This is the point of the, of the parable. It's great in its purest, rawest form. The father gave the younger son precisely what he didn't deserve. And both sons are confused by it, as you would be. The father also seems confused that neither son was that keen to come in and party. It's like, well, I'm throwing a party. Why wouldn't you want to come in? I'm celebrating. Why would you not want to celebrate the fact that your brother's come back? Again, we've got two different stories about two different things. One is about the Boys trying to get what they deserved. The other was the story of a father whose son had come home. Simple as that. I think of Leo. He's too young to run away at the minute. He tries. He's a very quick crawler. He's straight up those stairs. If he sees that baby gates off, he's gone. And I'll talk about Leo because he's my son. Isla's obviously amazing as well, but you know, it's not her day. She's had it. She'll entertain you all later on. She's still in the sleep. But there's been times when Leo's been away. He's been out for the day with friends or relatives. He's been staying over a couple of times at grandparents in Bradford. He's been at nursery. And when he comes home, even after a few hours, I'm glad that he's back. That's the way I'm glad. I want to welcome him back. He's like, hiya. And, and I'll be honest, I'm like the third most popular person in my house for Leo. <laughs> We've got Shantz, mum. We've got Katie, who lives with us and is amazing. And Isla absolutely loves them both. And then if they're not around, then dad might settle. And he'll come and say hello. He'll give me a cheeky grin. But I'm just pleased to welcome him home because my son's come home. 
My daughter's come home. I love it when the kids come home from nursery. We hit the witching hour, you know what it's like. They're just absolutely tapped, they're mental, they're going buzzing all over the spot. And you're thinking, it was just really quiet before, and now there's noise that's come into my life. And we've got to endure this 90 minutes until they go to bed. <laughs> but I'm glad that they're home, because that's the heart of a father. That's God's heart. He wants people home. Both boys thought that their father's response should reflect... Let me start again. Both boys thought that their father's response should reflect what they deserved. They thought that their past performance should be considered. The difference between the two brothers was that the younger one at least had that awareness about what he'd done. He'd swallowed his pride and admitted it. The older one couldn't do it. The father gave the older son just as much grace as the younger one And the great thing about this parable is that it's open-ended insofar as we know that the younger son makes it, we know that he's welcomed home, there's a party. We don't know if the older one was able to swallow his pride and make it too. But Jesus extends his grace to everyone. The tax collectors and the sinners that Jesus was dining with accepted and knew that they needed this grace. They needed this restart. They needed this welcome. We're not sure whether the Pharisees understood that they needed it too or whether they just thought by ticking the box they were doing it all correct. I wonder which camp you might be in this morning. We live in a world that gives us value according to what we do. You watch any quiz show, pointless or whatever it is, this is Keith, he's a joiner from Barnsley, or whatever it is, they're a teacher, this is name, occupation, where they're from, yeah? And it's really boring, because what we do doesn't define who we are. God gives us value according to who he is, and he tells us who we are. So what we can do can change, but who we are doesn't change. We don't need titles and positions. We might crave them, but we don't need them. We just need to be humble. It says in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God's impressed by humility and surrender. You can't earn his favor just by doing the right thing all the time and not being aware that you need grace. That There's a song that we used to sing called Mighty to Save. And, it, and the words are something like, everyone needs compassion, love that's never-ending. Everyone needs the kindness of a saviour. Yeah. And it's so true, we all do it. The boys here, they thought their past performance should be considered. But the father's story wasn't about their behaviour at all. His story was about something else. In the father's story, there weren't any what-abouts. He knows what they've done. He's not daft. But what the boys had done was irrelevant. We know that because the father said at the end of the parable, we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he was found. That's the end of the parable. That's it. That's the answer for why the Pharisees, to the Pharisees, of why Jesus welcomes sinners, ate with them, without requiring them to do anything first. The Jewish law was, made, was built on you're having to do so many ritualistic things and Jesus came and just abolished all that. And that's what makes him so diversive. While we want to talk about rehabilitation, the sun's going to come back, right? You're going to have to go through a nine-point plan, a five-point process. This is your steps back to recovery. Whilst we make it all about rehabilitation, God's all about restoration. God's all about reconciliation. God celebrates because he sees relationships restored. That's what he loves to see. And every week, I'll do it in a minute, every week we give people an opportunity to invite Jesus into their lives. But I want to say this now, Jesus is a, is a gentleman. He won't protrude where he's not invited. Yeah. So what we, what we say is that we have to invite him in. 
He wants us to invite him in. And when we do that, the party starts right then. And this morning, you might have a younger brother story. Maybe today you're sitting here saying, yeah, but Tom, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've said. You don't know what I've thought. It's like, I do. I don't in one sense. But we've all, there's nothing that's that surprising to what people go through and thoughts that people have. Maybe you're the older brother. That's your story. You've been keeping to the rules. That's not a bad thing. I'm not saying break the rules. And you feel that the prodigals have got let off too easily. You've been working hard on keeping the rules, but also today your perspective has just been smashed like a stone. I was thinking the other week we were driving to Hull and a chance seems to attract birds to the, crash into our car. And um, we were driving down the M62 and suddenly there was this almighty bang. We could see this thing. We're like, what is that? I thought the windscreen had cracked. And then it turned out there's our wing mirrors just hanging off. And in, on second, on when we stopped, we realized that a, a pigeon had like, just hit the wing mirror, smashed the whole surround of it, smashed the glass. Obviously, I presume goodbye pigeon because it's like 70 miles an hour. But maybe that's what's happening to you today, that suddenly a realization has just shattered into your life that like, you've been like the older brother. You've been arguing when you shouldn't have been. You think you've been doing it all right. You've been diligent. You've been turning up all good things. But inside there's this injustice, this heart, which tell you, is, if you dilute grace, it's not grace. Grace is it's amazing grace because we can't understand it. You've been arguing with your father, with your father figure, when you shouldn't have been. Do you have the two stories of the sons? Jesus said there was a third story. This is the father's story. This is God's story. And in this story, he's not impressed or distressed over what you have or haven't done. In his story, these things don't matter. In God's story, you matter. You, me, every one of us, we are the focus of a celebration. It's not what you've done. It's not your achievements, good as they might be. It's just who you are. You were lost and now were found. You were blind and now you see. And today I want to encourage you to say yes to this offer of grace. Because in your story, let me tell you this, in your story, you're going to continue to search for a reason that God should love you. And in your story, you're going to find plenty of reasons to find why you shouldn't. Because we know where we've gone wrong. We know that we all mess up. Deep down, we know that we're all not perfect. Even though we know that we, we live a perfect life. We know that we've done 35 and a 30. We know that we've parked on double yellow lines. We know that we know we've nipped into the disabled toilet when you haven't. And you get a big look from me right now if you do that. Let me tell you. I'll come after you with my stick. <laughs> we know that none of us are perfect. My suggestion to you today is let go of your version of the story, embrace his instead, the Father's. Some people say the most scandalous thing in the Bible is the wrath of God. And I haven't got time to talk to you about that today because it's not as bad as you think. That's a whole theological thing which is way too deep for me. But I get a bit of it. But nobody, actually, if you think about it, is really scandalized by God that's wrathful. That makes sense. We are, however, deeply scandalized by a God of indiscriminate love and grace. That's the hard thing to accept. We can accept a God who gives us what we deserve because we want to give other people what they deserve, don't we? If we're wronged, if we're cut up when we're driving and someone creeps into those lanes, you know, like get right back onto the bumper or, or whatever it is, whatever it is that just sets you off. 
We all want to give other people what they deserve, especially when they felt wronged us. So we can understand the God that's like that. But what we can't understand is a God of love, a God of mercy, who distributes that however he wants. And we've got no control over it. And in a society where we think we've got control over everything, it just, it, it just blows our minds. It def- it's a love that defies reason. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And in his story, in the father's story, he loves you regardless of what you've done. He doesn't love you because of what you've done either. The, the, fact that you've, the fact that you've done all this stuff, it might all be great stuff, but he doesn't love you because of what you've done. He couldn't love you anymore, and he couldn't love you any less. This is a story of grace. Yeah. This is the grace of God. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. We've got to dive into that grace that God has for us. Soak it up. Because if we don't, we'll get submerged in condemnation. But maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you're sitting here living with things that you were never supposed to live with. You were never supposed to live with guilt. You're never supposed to live with condemnation. You're never supposed to live with negativity. You're never supposed to live with fear. And today is a day where you can have that taken right off you. Because we believe that Jesus didn't just die for you to be hidden away. He came and died for us so that we could have life. Yeah. And life in all its fullness, the Bible says. And often in, in life we know we're, we're a cynical generation because we know that there's no such thing as a free dinner. We go to meetings at work and sometimes we get a bit excited about the dinner and then they're really disappointing sandwiches. And you think, I've come all this way to Birmingham. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, prawn or something that I don't really like. You know, thoughtless. Often stuff seems too good be, that seems too good to be true. It's just that. It's too good to be true. And so we can look at this and think it's the same thing, but it's not. God's grace is available to everyone. It's available to you all. It's available today. It's available for your relationships. It's available for your life. It's available for your marriage. If yesterday, if yesterday was a rough day, if today so far, just getting here this morning, was a rough day, the Bible says that his mercies are new every day. We've just got to ask for it. At Global Church, we're a church where we say you, you, you can belong before you believe. You don't have to just be a Christian to, keep, to get something out of it. And hopefully you've got something out of this morning. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website 